Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to Following On here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, as always, alongside former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Uh, So England's new white ball era begins with a four-wicket defeat to the West Indies in Antigua. We'll look back at all of the action and hear exclusively from West Indies captain and century maker Shay Hope. Australian cricket writer Ben Horne joins us to reflect on Mitchell Johnson's extraordinary comments as he dishes out scathing criticism towards former teammate David Warner in his column in the West Australian. And we'll find out how the Aussies are reacting to Nathan Lyon signing for Lancashire. And we'll end the show with any other business as usual. There's more drama in Pakistan cricket and Uganda qualify for the T20 World Cup at the expense of Zimbabwe. So plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to Following On. Well, let's begin at uh, the Saviv Richards ground in Antigua. Uh, Shea Hope scores his 16th ODI centuries uh, as the West Indies go 1-0 up in that uh, three-match series. Harmi, it's one of those occasions, I feel, uh, where obviously we'll talk about England's shortcomings on the day. But you know what? What a good performance from the West Indies. Yeah, I think you've got to give the West Indies a huge amount of credit. England but started quite well with the bat. I think nobody really took responsibility. To go on and get that big score, you, know, you look at the way Harry Brook played, which I think all in all, I thought three twenty-five was a good score on that on that surface. I don't think it was a brilliant, brilliant surface. You could hit through the line on, and then you know when you're chasing, you know when you're chasing, it just takes one man if he does take responsibility to stand up. And, and the West Indies captain did that, and a, you know a large proportion of the West Indies players hung around and batted around him. They got off to a great start. You know there was a lot of um, a lot of good things happened for the. For the for the men from the Caribbean because there were shambles coming into this you know into this series there's a lot of talk about disbanding islands and you know Trinidad and Jamaica and Barbados going their own way so I think when you when you look at it it's been a great great start for for the West Indies I wouldn't be too critical too much on England we've got to remember this is a change it's a transition it's trying to find what I said before the, the, the series started I wanted to find players to fit into the model which was made England so successful in the last sort of seven and a half years before the World Cup, and that was the power at the top, somebody to bat through the, the middle overs and then give the, the platform for the, the lower order to explode. And I think England did that quite well. I think when you look at it with a ball 
they're probably a seamer short. You know, Will Jackson bowl that potentially gets a, a seamer in there if if you went with one one sort of frontline spinner. But I think all in all, I thought um, yeah, young Ryan Ahmed bowl well. I thought Liam Limston bowl quite well, and Sam Curran got off to a bad start, and that was it. He never really recovered. And you know, when you've got somebody like Shea Hope who who held his nerve. Yeah, I think US Dippy Cap and say the West Indies deserved to win because they had one man who wanted a bat for the, the winning of the game and he and he hung around till the very end. We need to talk about Sam Curran, Harmy. I know that I'm biased. I need to recuse myself um, from conversations regarding Sam Curran because uh, I think I, he was eight years old when I first saw him playing on the outfield at Harare Sports Club and it was obvious then that he was a supreme talent and I somehow can't accept that he won't become a great England cricketer. But none for 98, uh, the worst figures ever in an ODI for an England bowler. And it does seem, we've been talking about this for three years. Ever since we started the show, we've been talking about what is Sam Curran's job because um, he seems to be, well, he's not Mr. Fix-It. What, what is he? I mean, he, he, does, he, he does all jobs and he's asked to do all jobs because he can. But is it to his detriment? Possibly to his detriment. He, he just didn't start very well with the ball. He batted beautifully, batted really well, exactly the way you want Sam Curran to bat. And again, it comes back to, it just seems that the talent he's got, the longer the game is more, it, it just becomes harder for him. The shortest format of the game, T20, seems to be the most comfortable and that seems to be his game at this moment in time. The minute you add six overs to his bowling, then he seems to have a, a little bit of struggle. He took over, you know, the worst figures of, of a one-day national, I think he took over from me. I think my note for 70, 97, I think, in in Headingley um, is just being beaten by a young Sam. But I, I want to persevere with him because I want to find a role for him in my team. I, I think he's so talented. It just seems that the longer the game, the more difficult it is for Sam to find a, a consistent role in the game, in the, in the one-day national or the test match, um, whether it's putting 20 overs together with a red ball you know, working out how to do it with a, I think it's the ball more than the bat. I think the bat looks after itself. I just think the problem with Sam is when he's got four overs to bowl, which was uh, two at the top, one in the middle, one at the end, or, you know, whichever way you, you, you sort of use him in, in 20 over cricket, he seems to know how to do it. It just seems in, in 50 over cricket, putting 10 overs together and trying to work out what he's doing, how he's doing it, and the game plans he's trying to, you know, he's trying to utilise. It just seems as though he doesn't know how to do it. More importantly, the captain doesn't really understand how to use Sam Curran, whether it is you know, the four overs at the top, couple in the middle, you're using him at the death. And this is a good time to, to find that out because you know, there's not a lot riding on, on these series. Um, but you still want to win. Unfortunately for Sam, he didn't start very well. And when you don't start very well with the ball and you're trying to find your way, and, you know, that, that, that road can run very, very fast, very, very quickly trying to pull it back, it's, uh, it becomes very, very difficult. Did you bowl a shower in your none for 97? Were, were you terrible? Or was it just one of those days? No, I bowled fast. I just kept it in the middle of Samas Jai Surya's Opal Taranga's bat a little bit harder than I was bowling. I can remember bowling a ball, a ball literally when it hit Samas Jai Surya right on the Sri Lankan badge. And he just flogged his bat one-handed to sort of fend it off. And it hit the middle of his bat and went over the Western Terrace. It turned to the big screen. It was like 97 point whatever mile an hour. I think we got we got some like, stupid like 350. 
in Taranga and in Sanath, they chased it in 35 overs. Trez got 100. Marcus Trez got 100. And I remember bowling the last four overs. I, I remember talking to Strauss. Yes, Trez was captain, I think. And it was Tim Bresnan's debut. And I mean, it was going to all parts. No matter where we let this thing go, as fast as it was going, it was going faster to the boundary and over the boundary. And I remember I remember saying to Strauss, yeah, I'll just let me bowl the last four. There's no point. You know, Bresnan having it on his on that young lad on his debut, getting carted as well. Just give me the ball, I'll bowl my ten, and it's going to happen quickly. So I try to bowl short balls at Jayasuriya, and he kept one handing them into the the Western <laughs> Terrace, very very far into the Western Terrace at good speed as well. It was hilarious. I just kept scratching my head, going, "That's going to hit him on the head at 97 miles an hour," and he's one handed, not looking at it, and he's hitting it for six. Not sure the looks going our way today, and. Slowly but surely, 15 overs to go. They shook hands. They won the game by eight wickets, I think, or nine wickets. And I think we got 350. Bizarre game of cricket. <laughs> what about the captain, Josh Butler? I mean, he hasn't scored 50 in his last uh, seven or eight innings. <laughs> Does he need a break? He, he obviously has the passion, the drive, the motivation. And uh, he's, I don't know why, as a captain, he didn't bowl Will Jacks, but do you think he needs a break? I mean, he, he wants to be there. That's the thing. He wants to be in charge of this new era. He wants to be part of the rebuild. But somehow, I, I think a sense that maybe this 12-month-a-year calendar that he's got is maybe weighing him down a bit? Yeah, I think there's. I think there will be a, lots of valid reasons to sit Josh down and say, look, Josh, just take, take some time off. And I think that time off's going to come. That time is going to come at the end of December. Um, he won't play until, I don't think he'll play until the uh, the IPL. So he's going to get his break. He's playing in the right SA20, Harmy. Is he playing in the SA20? So that might be the that might be a break for him. That might be a break from you know he he might pull out of that. Who knows? I think I think he does need a break, but I think he also does need to be in the Caribbean. So I think it's a hard one. I think from Joss's point of view, I think he you know personally he, his game could potentially do with four or five weeks off. Put the the bats to one side. Go and play paddle tennis. Go and have some time with the family. And we'll get Josh Butler back when Josh is, you know, re-energised. But he's England captain, and he's England captain, and I, I know that Josh will be saying, no, uh, I need to be out here. I need to be leading my team. This is a new start, so I am the man front and centre. So I think it's important that Josh is out there with with the team, and he's going through a difficult time. But all, all players, and he is the greatest white ball player we've ever produced. All players go through bad times. You know, the great Sachin, Brian Lara, Ricky Ponton, they all went through in different times. This is Joss's in different time. He'll come back, no question whatsoever. And when he does, he'll be he'll be back stronger as a person for it. But I think the person, the, the player probably needs a break. But I think the England captain needs to be there with his team. So, and I think the way Joss leads his life and he, he, the way he gives for his, for his country and his team, I've got no doubt Joss, a bit like Ben Stokes, He'll be going, no, no, this is my team. I need to be here. I'm going to be here. Um, and if I'm having a, an indifferent time, I'll, I'll work on that and try and make it better. But, you know, he, he's, one, he's one score away. Get to 50, get to 60 in the next game, and then look out the West Indies because once he gets into a little bit of a nick, I'm sure he'll, he'll ride that wave. And, you know, the, the, there's, there's still a lot more to come from Josh Butler in my eyes. And I'm pleased he is out there, you know, because he, he could have took the brick. But I'm pleased he's out there because he's England captain and he should be. 
could be imagining this, but it seems to me he might be trying a bit too hard. Yeah. Um, is that right? Yeah, I agree with that. I, I agree with that. And I think sometimes you can't try too hard. And when you when we go and you look at, uh, go through my career, and there's times I've, I feel as though you try too hard. And one of the biggest things I labeled Nasser Hussein as England captain, he wanted England to win far too much. And when you say that to people, people look at you and go, how can you want England? How can he want England to win far too much? And there's just the obsession by it. And sometimes as players, you can want something too much. You can try far too hard. And what you do is you forget about the, the sort of processes that gets you into a position to hit the ball. You end up sometimes overthinking it, going past it. And then by the time you've made the mistake and you're out, you're thinking, how on earth did I get to that position? So, yeah, I think that's a valid point that he might be trying a little bit too hard. And the 2020s come around they'd be a lot different because for me, like I said, at the end of the World Cup, I'd like to see him go in first. He's not in the greatest of forms. Just go in first, give yourself some time, see the ball, hit the ball and build yourself in innings. He could possibly have done that in these last three, in the three one day at Nationals, but that would be selfish on Joss when he's trying to build a new ethos of a team. When the 2020s come around in, in a week's time, that's when you might see Joss Butler explode in them five games. You're listening to Following On here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, alongside former England fast bowler Steve Harmison as we look back at England's four-wicket defeat to the West Indies in the first ODI in Antigua. And a reminder, we bring you live and exclusive ball-by-ball commentary of the second ODI between the West Indies and England on Wednesday uh, here on TalkSport 2. We're on air at 5pm ahead of the 5.30 start. Before we discuss uh, the West Indies and what I said was, I thought, an outstanding performance from the home team. Let's uh, hear from their captain, Shea Hope, who scored his 16th ODI century. Uh, he spoke to our very own Sam Ellard after his unbeaten 109 helped his team seal the win. That was special to watch. What was it like being out there at five down? I don't think many people really probably would have given you guys much of a chance of, of chasing that down. Obviously, Shepard played his role, but for you as captain to leave from the front 100 in front of a great support here in Antigua, is that... A special day for you, one of the, maybe the, the best in your career? Yeah, for sure. I think any 100 that I score in a winning cause is always special to me. As I said before, I always want to play to win games. That's, that's the reason why we play in the first place. Uh, but it's not about what people think or what position we're in that people think we can't cross lanes. It's about us as a team to believe all the way down to the end. We have the firepower. we got all the, the, the uh, assets to win games from any position. But we now have to show it. So it's not about having the repertoire. You have to make sure you execute when the time is right. And you think as well, this is obviously a group of guys that didn't make the World Cup, which could be disheartening yeah. for the guys to sort of not be there and kind of then come here and put in that sort of fighting performance. You know, skills one thing, to have that, that, that mentality to come back at five down must be really pleasing for you as captain. Yeah, for sure. Again, when you could, sh- when you could show everyone that you could win from these positions, these were challenging positions. Obviously, the pitch was a bit up and down in some, some crucial stages of the game there. Obviously, the bowlers hit that tricky length. He was getting some balls to shoot and then some to kick from that CLM. So to fight and get down to the to the back end where you had a chance and then obviously Shepi played a special inning so hats off to him hats off to, to Alec to get us off the great start same with Kingy so everyone is, is chipping in they're chipping out at the right time but two games left in the series so one game doesn't mean you win the series you now have to play some better cricket you go right back to the beginning of the day when England were 80 without a loss after right over us you're thinking oh no the old England are back the sort of the England pre the, the World Cup are back they're going to pose a little like they could pose 500 runs at one point yeah but one thing I always tell the guys 
Yes, you want to start well, but it's not how, how you start, it's how you finish. And the way we, we came back in the middle over is to put some pressure on those guys. We got a few wickets and then we made things back in our favour. Obviously, you know, we had a few drop catches there that could have pretty much changed the context of the entire game. But uh, that's gone. It's nice to see the guys fought in the back end there to, to give us a chance at chasing out a pretty decent score. And just found a crash in with a, a T20 World Cup not too far away. I guess almost this is the, the perfect start. I guess you're going to hope on a, on a journey for a pretty young team to maybe achieve something special. Yeah, for sure. Like I said, every time you cross the line, the aim is to win. Whichever position you put in, you have to fight for the cause. And we, we, we're trying to build. We know that we're not where we want to be as yet. But the more we tick our boxes and the more we, we, we string some consistency performances together, then we're going to get a lot more wins. That's West Indies ODI captain uh, Shea Hope. Uh, past 5,000 ODI runs. He, he's been an absolute rock, Harmy. And uh, I don't think he's spoken about as much as perhaps he should. That's a result, of course, of being in a losing team. But... Um, he took the same number of innings as Viv Richards and Virat Kohli to reach 1600s. He's a he's a top top quality player. Why do you think he doesn't get more gigs around the world in the T20 circuit? I think they see him as more of a test player, don't they? I think a lot of franchises around the world will see Shai Hope as more of a player who bats for a length of time rather than you know the crash bang wallop that comes with playing T20 franchises in different parts. I'm surprised he hasn't gotten a gig in somewhere like the SA20, I'm surprised he didn't get a gig in the Blast because, you know, the amount of teams that, that come. But I think it might be Shea Hope's calendar as well. He might not be able to fit that in. But he is a quality player. There's no question whatsoever. And while you were sitting watching the game and you're going, there are no over behind here. There may be two overs behind here. But you were expecting, while Hope was there, pardon the pun, there was always hope that they had a chance to, to win the game. And... He just held the whole thing together in such a calm way. He got the boundary when he needed it. You know, I couldn't believe how many balls he faced. I thought he was there a hell of a lot longer than you know, 109 of 83 balls. I, I didn't think he was there for, you look at the, the ball count, I would have said it was well over 100. But then he, he sort of set the platform, the needing 10, 12 and over and more. And then obviously Shepard came in and got 48 of 28 balls. And that's what you need as a as a team when you're, chasing such a big total but I think he is a he's a wonderful player but I think a lot of a lot of franchises around the world see him as a as a red ball player who plays the white ball game at a, a slower pace and that's probably why he hasn't been been picked up but when you see the numbers like what you mentioned and you know 16 16 one day national hundreds and the same amount of games as Virat and, and Sir Vivian Richards that tells you everything about what career Shea Hope has had and Probably another thing he doesn't get recognition for, he's playing in a team which has been a shambles for four years. You know, they haven't been great in white ball cricket, let's be fair. Um, they didn't qualify for the last World Cup. 2020s, he didn't, obviously didn't feature as as heavily. So that's probably why he's not getting the recognition he does in the franchise games around the world. But I'm sure there's one or two now looking at him thinking, mm, you know what, he could go in first or bat at number three for us. And he could definitely be somebody that we could uh, we could build a group around. I also had the impression that uh, the Cindy's were behind, as you said. You, you, you always got the impression that uh, they they just weren't ever ahead of the game. Do you think England will feel like they let it slip? Do you think Josh Butler would have felt that he was in control and that that that, that he? that the West Indies were, were behind, a little bit too far behind for the majority of the run chase? Yeah, I think so. And I think, could you blame England for 
thinking they had the job done, possibly. I think you could. I did look for all you know, all money that the West Indies aren't getting this. You, you, you can never rule that number seven, number eight out coming in, whacking. I remember the last, OD, the last ODIs and the last T20s that were out there all in Barbados. And there was there was one or two two big hitters came in at number seven and number eight, and they smashed it. Shepard was one of them who just came in and belted four sixes one over. And you're thinking, where's that come from? This is what the West Indies put some of the West Indies players do. So you can never rule them out. But I think Josh Butler could he accuse his team and his bowlers of possibly thinking job's done? You know, they're, they're far too far behind. They're an over behind at least. But then all of a sudden, when carnage comes, it's very difficult to stop. It's very difficult to stop. And when you're a bowler, all of a sudden you think the game's won and you just make sure I put on the length, hit me down the ground, hit me to my field on the on the leg side boundary, bowling cutters in, into the pitch with a leg side boundary, the, the needing the needing to, to a ball, just bowl to your field and go like that, rather than trying to potentially get the wicket to put even more pressure on. Then all of a sudden, one shepherd comes in, starts whacking a few, you're thinking, oh, wow. You know, all of a sudden... But try and stop this, and you go from you know you go from a mindset of being I just need to finish me over off and I get out me over and comfortable as a bowler go down to fine leg or go to wherever and stay in the game not a problem. All of a sudden they're going how do we stop this? And unfortunately, it happens quickly. It's like when a batter's it's like when a good good like me top quality fast bowler gets into a rhythm and gets on a roll. He gets a wicket and then all of a sudden you can see the panic in the dressing room because he gets one, he gets two. And all of a sudden, he runs through his side. I think that's what happened at the back end of, of the game. And, um, and England just didn't know how to stop it. And also on the West Indies uh, side, o- O'Shane Thomas, really good to see him performing and, and running in. And he's a big, big man, isn't he? And you can't help sort of fearing that uh, he's an injury waiting to happen. I mean, he made his debut at 18. He's still only 26. But it was uh, it was good to see him getting a run and, and, and running through for 10 overs without hurting himself. Yeah, he did. He, he bowled nicely. I thought he bowled really well. I thought the last couple of overs, he, he tied in the last couple of overs. I thought his first six or seven overs was was nice. It was good rhythm. I couldn't really see the speed gun. I wasn't really showing for what sort of speeds there were. After the West Indies bowl, all right. But their spinner did okay. Shepard got, he got whacked a bit at the end. I, I, look, I think all in all, I thought... It was a good game of cricket for both sides. I thought both sides, you know, performed reasonably well. It was just a couple of little phases of play in the fifty overs where England might think England will definitely think you let that get away from us there. And I'm sure the West Indies will think the same. But it was nice to see O'Shane Thomas because I've got a soft spot for the big fella because when we were out there in for the test matches a few years ago, he literally bowled for 40 minutes at lunch and for 20 minutes at tea time <laughs> every single day of the Test Series. And, I mean, he was never going to play cricket, but he was just there to bowl and, and you know, and you just seen this big man. There was Aljari Joseph, who was just young, and there was O'Shane Thomas. There was one more, and I can't remember for the life of us think who it is. And, I mean, the three of them bowled for, like, 40 minutes at lunch, 20 minutes at tea, for five days during the first test, and they're thinking, we can't do that again. They did it during the second test. They did it during the third test. And it was like, are they, they going to give these guys a game or what? And it wasn't until Jared had, Jared Kimber, who obviously works with, with Talk Sport, said, no, no, he plays in the in the Caribbean Premier League. He is a proper, proper bowler, this big lad. So when the one days came around, it was it was great to see him play. And, you know, he's had his ups and downs over the course of the last couple of years. I was really pleased to see the big fella back last night because he... Um, 
he, he is a big man, but he's a big man who looks as though he's got a big heart and all he wants to do is bowl fast, which is brilliant to see. OK, what changes for Wednesday then, Harmy? I must say, it looks... It was a strange batting lineup uh, to me. Maybe it was just the fact that England's test openers were at three and four. But I thought Ollie Pope was going to play. I mean, I, I just assumed that, you know, he was being brought into the ODI team and, and would, would play straight away. Um, people talk about England lacking a sixth bowling option, but they've got Will Jacks. So uh, I don't know. Will Ollie Pope play or do they stick with the top six or seven that they've got now? What changes would you make? I think that I'd like to have a look at Turner. No point taking him if you're not going to look at him. I want to see if he can bowl, how fast he can bowl, especially at Antigua on that wicket. If it's a similar wicket that we've just played on, better mind we're going to India. We need quick bowlers to go to India. Atkinson, I thought, bowled, I thought Atkinson bowled nicely. I'd like to see Turner have a game, if not in both of these games, because I, we need to see if, our, if we can build a barrage of quick bowlers that we go to India with Anderson and Robinson and then Atkinson and Wood and Carson, possibly one or two more if we can and if tongues fit. So I want, I would like to, I would like Turner to have a game. I would I would like to see Oli Pope. The, the order surprised me. I'm not going to go against them because you know this is a, the new way of looking at it. And I wanted you know the big hitters at the top and you know go with a power player like Bairstow and Roy did. And I thought Salt and Jax did that, you know, reasonably well. I thought Jax could have just filled that Moanali role. Especially when you look at the the makeup of the group, where you've got Crawley and Duckett and Pope, so you've, you're taking seven seven or eight batting options, and all of a sudden, if you've got a Pope, a Crawley, and a Duckett, who who you'd think can only bat one, two, and three, when you've got them in your group and you don't have them at one, two, and three, then I'm not going to question them because this is this is this is the way they're they're going to go about their their game and and fair play to them and let's see where it goes. But is Ollie Pope going to get a game? I'm not sure where he fits in. Crawley and Duckett, I think if you're if you're saying, right, these are my three, four, I think you've got to stick with them. As much as I'd love to see Pope get a game, I think you've got to stick with, with Crawley and Duckett at, at three and at number four. Is Harry Brook one too low? Possibly. I'd like this, possibly have seen Harry and the new regime go to number four, but he batted nicely at number five, so we'd, we'd, we'd stick with him, with him there. Um, but I think it's the bowling options that I'd possibly change. Do they give Sam Curran a break after what he's you know he's just gone through? You know the most expensive bowler and bring John Turner in there and say he's an he's a new ball bowler and give him give him an Atkinson the new ball with Cost coming on behind it. And um, that's probably the only change I would I would make and bring Turner in. I'd like to see Turner have a game. I suppose it's uh, one of those conversations that. Uh... You could have worse ones, Ollie Pope. Uh, good. The good news is, Ollie, you're in the squad. The bad news is, you're not going to get a game. You're the reserve batsman. But the good news again is that it's an all-inclusive resort uh, in Antigua. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and a reminder: you can hear live and exclusive ball-by-ball commentary of the second ODI between the West Indies and England on Talksport Two this Wednesday from 5 p.m. That's the build-up. First ball at 5:30. You can also watch us on YouTube. You're listening to Following On on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, alongside Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. Uh, next up, we'll turn our attention to Australia and discuss Mitchell Johnson's recent comments on his former teammate, David Warner. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. You're listening to Following On here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the Following On feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, as promised at the top of the show, we're going to speak now to News Corps cricket writer Ben Horn, an old uh, friend of the programme, although it's been a while since uh, we had him on. Uh, before we talk about the red-hot story of the week, for me anyway, uh, Mitchell Johnson and uh, his attack on David Warner. Let's hear from selector George Bailey talking about a very strong squad that's been named for Australia against Pakistan in the first test of the, uh, in Perth. It's been the ongoing story, hasn't it, that um, clearly Dave's would like to get through the series and, and finish up in Sydney and um, you know fully respect that and understand that from a playing point of view. I think we've been pretty consistent you know, around the fact that, that with with any player, performance-wise, it's it's how they perform as an individual and then how that performance actually fits into the function of the team. Um, and, and that won't change. And not specific today, I think all players, it's about performing and, and how that fits into the team that will determine um, the makeup of, of a side in, in any given test. And just um, one on, uh, obviously, there's a lot of commentary today about a Mitchell Johnson column and a few, you know, things he's had to say about, um, uh, well, Dave and and yourself, and I suppose the function of the of the selectors. Have you have you read it and you, have you got any response to it? No, I've been sent little snippets of it. Um, I hope he's okay. That's uh, Australia's uh, head selector George Bailey talking about uh, the first Test squad. Now, uh, Ben, what a remarkable story. I mean, you know, it's always a busy week in international cricket these days, but um, that uh, that column written by Mitchell Johnson, or at least with his name on it, that's more than just selling newspapers for the Western Australian. <laughs> that was personal. It was, yeah, and not just about David Warner either. Uh, Manners, it was George Bailey as well who, who copped it from Mitchell. It was good stuff if you're a uh, news, port- news reporter like me trying to build up a series that really didn't seem to have much going for it, to be honest. So, um it's uh, it's been good fodder, but look, I think if you go beneath that, it's actually a bit, it's a bit sad, really. I think. I mean, obviously, we want commentators, we want ex-players who are commentators to be giving their opinion, but it's just a little sad when you 
guys that are ex-teammates and, um, you know, have uh, obviously achieved some great things together, turn on each other in the manner that happened. And um, Mitchell also launched an attack on Pat Cummins and the bowlers a couple of years ago. So, um, yeah, at odds, I suppose, with most members of the current team. What is the feeling about David Warner nominating his own farewell test match? I mean, it... It was, I think it was six months ago, wasn't it, that he said that uh, he'd like to bow, bow out at the SCG and the, selecting himself for all three tests uh, for Pakistan. Have people just got over it now? Obviously, Mitchell Johnson hasn't. Yeah. Look, um, it's, uh, I think it's, you know, opinions are polarised on it. Mitchell raised some points about David Warner's form in the column, which are, you know, entirely fair and, and debatable, uh, aside from his double hundred against... South Africa, um, you know, Warner hasn't had a great last couple of years in Test cricket. I thought where where Mitchell really went overboard and, and probably missed the mark was bringing the sandpaper scandal back into things again, uh, which isn't particularly relevant to how David Warner finishes his career. Um, I mean, Warner, if you go back and have a look at what he actually said during the Ashes, it was all predicated on his form and if he was making runs, that's what he wanted to go through to. So, I mean, really, it comes down to the selectors um, and they've made the decision to continue with him. Um, and the same problem exists that has existed for the last couple of years, that there's no one really banging the door for the spot. Um, Cameron Bancroft, Marcus Harris, Matt Renshaw are the three candidates. Um, between them, they've 38 tests and 100 between them. Um, so it's a very different situation to when Ian Healy was denied a farewell tour. Um, he did have Adam Gilchrist <laughs> nipping at his heels. So, you know, and look, Australia's off a World Cup win and David Warner played well in the World Cup. I guess they're in a position where they can make this call. Was there any sign of a, a conflict between Warner and Mitchell Johnson? Because it just seems bizarre that a former player would attack somebody like that. And I think other people might, from outside Australia, might say, well, does he have a point? Mitchell Johnson, you know, because I know he brought Sam Gate up and everybody wants to forget it, but the actual point that Mitchell was trying to make, I think it might be a valid one that, you know, I'm looking from the outside, I look at Pakistan Cricket Board, have appointed a selector, then sacked him within 24 hours um, because it, it tarnished what he did, what tarnished what the game was all about in, in Pakistan and what it meant. And there's Mitchell more or less saying the same thing. I know Sam Gate's not match-fixing, but it did bring a slur on, on the Australian badge. It did. But, I, I mean, we're talking about something that happened five or six years ago. And, um, you know, David Warner did serve a 12-month ban. Uh, he's been banned from leadership for as long as he plays the game. Um, there was an attempt last year maybe to overturn that, and that was unsuccessful. So, look, what you're saying may be true about how many people in the public view David Warner is still playing. But in terms of whether that could be held as a reason to not let him play this is I just don't see how it's relevant given he has served a far heftier punishment than anyone else that was involved in, in that. And, um, you know, we are talking five or six years ago. So, look, in terms of the public sentiment, there would be people that hold that view, but I don't see how, that, how it's relevant at all to uh, his selection. Is Mitch looking for George Bailey's job? Well, who knows? I mean, um, I thought that was the most surprising part of it. I mean, I think Mitchell has criticised Warner previously in his columns, but um, it was a little bit surprising that uh, he, he went after uh, George Bailey, who's a you know, pretty 
stand-up, inoffensive sort of character. But um, obviously, again, I guess there was a point to be made there about a player so recently in retirement coming on as a selector. But it was an odd time to be going that hard at George Bailey, given um, they did pull the right string on a number of big calls in the World Cup and won the World Cup. So, you know, I think George has done a pretty fair job as selector. Mitchell Johnson used the word something like owning um, the Sandpaper Gate thing. He said that David Warner didn't own up to his role. It sounds like he wanted him to say, it was my idea. I'm completely to blame. But, I mean, it's not going to go away, is it? I mean, we were talking to you about a year ago, I think, about about David Warner's biography coming out and that there might be a few bowlers perhaps squirming in their, in their boots a little bit, waiting for that to come out. It's not done and dusted. It's not over. It's, it's not going to go away, is it? What, what will make it go away? <laughs> well, I suppose once they're all not playing for Australia, again, I suppose it will be a bit more of a distant story. But you're right, man. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what David Warner does if he does, you know, with, if he goes writing a book after his career. One of the smart things he's done uh, since the incident is he's remained very tight-lipped about the whole thing. I mean, Cameron Bancroft and Steve Smith gave rather ill-advised interviews afterwards, which didn't really help them at all. And I think it's been a smart move from um, from Warner to say nothing. And um, I don't know what is to be gained from uh, giving a warts and all account in, in you know when it's all done. But we'll wait and see. Maybe that will happen. But um, yeah, look, I mean, it's you know it was a huge event in Australian cricket, and it keeps going. And I, I suppose it's one of the interesting questions about David Warner's replacement because Cameron Bancroft is on Sheffield Shield form, certainly the best placed opener to replace him. But um, is that factor, a silent factor in the background that is going to work against Cameron Bancroft, that the fact that they, um, that they, I, I guess, that the choice of whether to bring another player who was involved in that era back into the dressing room, it'll be interesting to see whether Bancroft is judged purely on his numbers or, or whether that, that, that is a factor. And you know, they, well, they brought over Marcus Harris to, to England. How's Harris going? And, you know, Renshaw, he's an opener, but is he a, is he a proper opener? Because we had, you know, we've seen him back middle order over in, over in England in first-class cricket. You mentioned yeah. the Bancroft stuff. He's in great form, that everything that goes with it. Who do you think will get the nod over when Warner does go? Yeah, it's a good question, Steve. Look, I mean, the big development here over the last few days is it feels like maybe none of the three will actually yeah. get picked. Um, you know, it's still a while to play out. Obviously, there's no more series against South Africa and you never know. Um, players might get injured and everything might change. But it feels at the moment like the selector's first priority is going to be to get Cameron Green back into the top six because he lost his place to Mitchell Marsh in the so he's outside the eleven for this first test against Pakistan, even though he is in the uh, he is in the squad. So my feeling at the moment, based on what we've heard, is that Cameron Green will come in for David Warner, not necessarily to open, but essentially they will pick who they perceive to be their top six batsmen and basically just mix and match until they find a new. I'm not sure who that'll be. Um, Manus Labuschagne, I guess, uh, would be the one logic given he's a number three, move him up to open. But I get the feeling that probably won't happen because, you know, after David Warner, it won't be long until Usman Khawaja and Steve Smith are gone as well. So 
I think it'd be a huge risk to be moving Marnus Lubbershain from the position he's done so well in. So I tend to think we might have an interesting opener come the, the series for West. You know, it could be Mitchell Marsh. It could be Cameron Green. It'll be, it'll be interesting. But I get the feeling at the moment that the three openers you mentioned, Steve, you know, maybe still have some work to do. And uh, I think they, they do like Matt Renshaw. He is the youngest of the three. He's the one with a test century. But as you touched on, I think maybe they see him more as a middle-order player. Well, Shane Watson opened the batting, and uh, that, that lasted a lot longer than a lot of people thought would happen. Let's talk uh, Nathan Lyon, Ben, quickly. We're running out of time. What's the feeling about him coming and playing a whole season for Lancashire? Well, it's great for him. I, he, um, you know, he's not necessarily uh, on the T20 circuit. And look, I mean, he is serious about coming to England again in 2027. I mean, uh, it's a long way away and who knows whether that will happen. But he's dead serious about it. I've never seen a more shattered cricketer to be flown home from a series. I mean, he was genuinely distraught about... Um, leaving the Ash and, you know, what impact he could have made if he'd stayed, if he'd been able to play a further part in the series. So Nathan Lyon will get to England in 2027. Whether Father Time beats him or not, we'll wait and see. But, um, yeah, this season that he's getting uh, for he is certainly going to help. So, you know, he's got a long way to go as far as he's concerned as a test cricketer. And another one that's coming over, I'm excited because he's going to play for my club, Scott Boland. He's perfect conditions. He'd be great for Durham, wouldn't he? Oh, fantastic, fantastic. And it's a shame, really, that Scott's at this stage of his career and these opportunities didn't come to him earlier. I mean, he's um, he's made an incredible fist of uh, this late start he's got in Test cricket, uh, and he's part of the squad again for this summer. You know, it's just a sh- it's a shame, I suppose, that uh, yeah, he he didn't make this run a little bit earlier because um, of what he's capable of in those conditions. But um, th- I'm sure there'll be rotation in the Australian attack this summer. They're all coming off big years. So, who knows? We might see Scott Boland go around again. Thanks for your time, Ben. We'll hopefully chat soon. All right. Thanks, Manus. Thanks, Steve. That was Ben Horn from uh, News Corps in Australia. You're listening to Following On here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Durham Hall of Famer Steve Harmison. And a reminder, you can also watch us on YouTube. Just head over to the TalkSport Cricket YouTube channel to subscribe for exclusive content and uh, match coverage. Right, let's round up uh, the week's other stories. Joffre Archer has become the latest uh, England player to pull out of the IPL. Uh, the ECB are keen to to manage him. I won't say manage his workload because he, he hasn't had a workload for a couple of years now, but um, he remains very important, central to England's plans. Um, so Ben Stokes, Harry Brook, Joe Root all um, have uh, withdrawn from the IPL, Harmy. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it? it uh, it's the IPL... Losing a little bit of its lustre, its sheen for the for the big players, or have they just got enough in the bank? No, I think they've got enough in the bank. I think also I, a lot of them. I don't think a lot of them want to spend. Said it many many times, especially when we're talking about Ben Ben coming back and if he was going to be fit to play in the World Cup or he was going to make himself available out of retirement. And I, I said, I said if he if he if he goes to the World Cup, he won't play IPL. It's a long time to be aware. And to spend three three hits in India over the course of a six month period, that's a lot on mentally. I think a lot physically, and something was going to have to give. So the ones that went to the the ones that went to the World Cup, I don't think we're ever going to play in the in the IPL. And I think there's still one or two in the auction. Are still one or two in the auction. Are still one or two have been retained, who are and are 
from England who are in the IPL, who if they're involved in the test test series, the five match test series, then I think they'll pull out the IPL as well. I think there's, there's still some wriggle room on on that. On I think the likes of Airstow and Wood and and I think there's one or two others who would who I think would then miss the IPL as well because. You know, spending a lot of time away from home is one thing. And the financial, yes, it's great. It's all great for the money, but you still got to do it. You still got to put yourself in that position. You put your body on the line as well. I just think it's 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 difficult. So it's no surprise that Ben's not going, Joe or Harry. I think there'll be one or two others. I think it's sensible about Joffre. I think I've just got to get Joffre playing cricket again. Even if it's for Horsham second team and as a batter to then build up these sort of legs on a field in 50-over cricket, going back and playing for one of the one of the club sides in the Caribbean, if that's the first port of call for to get him a game of cricket back in Barbados, just in a nice, easy, relaxed environment where he can bowl a few overs, not worry about anything other than, you know, let go of the ball no matter where it goes and then repeating it and getting the motion of bowling again and then build up to... You know, if he is going to be fit for the start of the county season or get him close to the county season, building through Sussex second team and first team. I said that a few few months ago. People laughed at me and had a go at me and said, no, no, we want Joffrey playing this and we want Joffrey playing that. It's like you've got no idea what it's like to you know build up from a bowler's point of view when you've had a long, long layoff. The last thing you want to do is go from gear one to gear six. Something else will go. Something else will will injure and you will you're just back to square one. I don't think we can afford to give I don't think we can afford to let Joffre get another injury in the sort of first three to six months that he comes back from because that might finish him off. That might finish him off from playing cricket. And if he did finish him off, it wouldn't surprise me. It would be understandable for what he's going through. So you know give the guy some time. We'll benefit in one, two, three years time. But if we think we're going to try and bring him back quickly once he starts bowling again whoever's doing that one the head red because that's not fair on not fair on Joffrey Archer the human being rather than you know the bowler we've got him under contract for two years if we can get him in a position to be bowling flat out in a year's time then great we'll give him give the boy a chance to give himself some enjoyment time of getting the love back for the game rather than just worrying about what part of his body's going to hurt next Okay, we've heard from Ben Horn about what the Aussies think of Nathan Lyon playing for Lancashire. What I'd like you to explain is how the Lancashire squad will feel about that. How does Tom Hartley feel, for example, about Nathan Lyon coming? I know that he's he's a great he's a great spin bowler. He's got four hundred and ninety six Test wickets. I'm sure Tom Hartley can learn a lot from him. But does it mean that his place in the team is under jeopardy? And if Old Trafford decide to really enhance spinning conditions at Old Trafford, which they can do at that ground, and they're going to play two spinners. Does that, are the seamers then looking over their shoulders and thinking, which one of us is going to miss out? Does it create unease um, and insecurity amongst the, the local players when a, a big signing is going to obviously play every game he can? No, I think you relish the big player coming in. I don't think I don't think Gary Keady was. Uh, I don't think Gary Keady was worrying about his place when Matai Murrithran came to <laughs> came to Lancashire all them years ago and Keads and Murley bowled brilliantly together. So I'm sure Tom I'm sure Hartley would be relishing the, the chance to work with with Nathan Lyon. You, you can remember as well, young Hartley, he bats as well. So he's you know, the, the will play I would imagine of the, the Lancashire will side will play two spinners at Old Trafford. Hartley man or two games playing away from home if if 
Nathan Lyon is taking loads of wickets and teams go, we're not going to play them on anything that's going to turn. But even so, I think Harley will still be in the conversation, the reckoning for playing as many games as he normally would play in Red Bull cricket. just think it's a great learning experience for, for the next generation of, of England spinners if you are anywhere near connected to Lancashire because he is a great bowler. Nathan Lyon is a great bowler. You know, a finger spinner to get 9,500 test wickets. You know, on the cusp of 500 test wickets is a monumental achievement and he has had words in the past with England players and he, he is a spiky character but he seems a good lad does Nathan Lyon and he seems somebody who you'd love to share the dressing room with and I think he'd be very very good at Lancashire and it's great to see that Australians coming over Scott Boland's going to come to Durham and he's going to do exactly the same Durham bowlers will will learn a lot from his accuracy his, you know, his the way he works out batters and the way he he sets up batters to you know, give them a good working over and making sure that you know they're, they're working very, very hard for every run they get. And I think that is what the, that's what the next level comes in when you see these players come in. I was fortunate at Durham. Durham didn't have the greatest, you know, from a financial point of view, we didn't have the greatest resources. We definitely didn't have the uh, the biggest pulling power with, you know, it, it wasn't like going to the Brighton Beach or... You know, you were playing in the in the big city in, in Surrey or anything like that. You were coming to Durham because you wanted to play cricket. It was freezing. It wasn't the greatest places to come and play. But we had we we just had this ability to sign top, top players. You know, my first one, David Boone. Then you look at someone like Shivnarayan Chanderpaul, Mike Hussey. Mike Hussey was massive for Durham. And that was before we played Test Cricket. And the 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 aura the give off, the example the set, and the way they go about their job, does one thing. And, and it just it just lifts the whole dressing room to be better. And I'm sure that's what Nathan Lyon will do to Lancashire dressing room, especially Tom Hartley, so it's good for England. OK, and uh, just a, a hat tip to Bangladesh, who once again confirmed that they are a very, very difficult to, team to beat on home soil in their test series against New Zealand, going up 1-0 with Tajul Islam taking uh, 10 wickets. And Rahul Dravid, I had heard on, I think, very good authority that uh, he ha- had asked the BCCI um, if he could step aside after the World Cup. But um, yeah, that's the biggest coach. That's the biggest job in in world cricket. And they said, "Hang on, <laughs> do you mind carrying yeah. on, please? <laughs> we, yeah. we, we've got another World Cup in six months' time. Would you mind carrying on?" And I, I think that you know, Raul Dravid's done a terrific job. But I, I think uh, he's quite keen to move on. But uh, as I said, um, who on earth would take up that job? Yeah, I think the, I think the, the groom VVS on the VVX Lachman, who is potentially the next cab off the rank. The way they've done it over the course of the last appointment, you know, Raul Dravid was head of the academy, head of well, I'm not sure what his title was before that. VVS is there now, and obviously Dravid takes over from Shastri, and it looks as though they're, they're trying to they're trying to sort of groom VVS into the, the next next phase, which would be into the the main job where where Raul is but I'm I'm with the BCCI if I've got Raul Dravid and if you say to Raul Dravid I need you to stay on and he says yes I think you 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 jump at it with both hands he's done an amazing job and his calmness is unbelievable as a player and you can see as a coach as well he seems as though he's got everything going in the right direction for India they they got beat off a better team in the final in a one-off game you know they were the best team in the tournament um, but unfortunately, we just couldn't get over the line in the final. I don't think that's yeah, any knock against against Dravid. I think he's done a brilliant job for India, and, and long may that continue. If I was an Indian fan, I'd be over the moon that 
rattle staying on for at least six more months. And I think in the next six months, if I was uh, head of the BCCI, I'd be trying my hardest to get him to stay on for a little bit longer as well, because he's he, not only is he a great man, he looks as though he's a great coach as well. Okay, and uh, the irony of the week is that South Africa announced their squads for a multi-format series against India. India arrive in South Africa in a couple of days' time, and South Africa announced that uh, a host of big their big names won't be playing white ball cricket against India because they're prioritising the two test matches. That includes Captain Temba Bavuma and Kajisa Rabada, both of whom won't be playing the white ball games in, in December. And it's ironic because they say they're prioritising the test matches against India, only two of them, because it's the start of the World Test Championship. But, of course, they're sending a D team to New Zealand to play two tests in February because all the big names are playing the SA20. Prioritising, yeah. Last week's final word went to Uganda, who had beaten Zimbabwe in their first ever game against a a major test-playing nation and uh, had a chance of qualifying for the uh, for the T20 World Cup in six months' time. And for the second successive week, the final word goes to Uganda, because they are now officially in the T20 World Cup. It's a wonderful, wonderful story. I must tell you, Harmi, you might not know this, but in 2009, was it 14 years ago, when they were in ICC World Division Three, they were there alongside Afghanistan, and they beat Afghanistan when they were both Division Three countries. Um, so the Uganda believe that uh, they can follow in the footsteps and create them an Afghanistan-type journey for themselves, beginning at the T20 World Cup. Final word this week goes to Uganda. Uganda, brilliant. You see the dancing as well. The, I mean, the dance, the colourful <laughs> dancing and the, you know, the celebration. For me, that is what it means to play cricket. We love the game. Good on them for for doing that and to knock a powerhouse out. And they are a powerhouse. Zimbabwe, you know, we you talk about Division Three, Division Four, Division Five. There's a lot of cricket played all around the world, not just with the big sort of ten nations. Um, Zimbabwe have been a, a big nation for a lot of years, qualified for lots of tournaments, had great sides. Unfortunately, Uganda's knocked them out. That's special, brilliant for that part of the world. You're listening to Following On here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you have missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the Following On feed, which is now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, We'll be back at the same time next week. But a reminder, you can hear the whole of England's white ball series against the West Indies, ball by ball, live here on TalkSport 2. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.